Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. never have left you. Stop acting like a fool, Miles, and accept us. No. Never. He's in here! He's in here! Get him! Get him! I've been afraid a lot of times in my life, but I didn't know the real meaning of fear until until I had kissed Becky. A moment's sleep, and the girl I loved was an inhuman enemy bent on my destruction. That moment's sleep was death to Becky's soul, just as it had been for Jack and Teddy and Dan Kaufman and all the rest. Their bodies were now hosts, harboring an alien form of life, a cosmic form, which to survive must take over every human man. So I ran, I ran. I ran as little Jimmy Grimaldi had run the other day. My only hope was to get away from Santa Mara, to get to the highway, to warn the others of what was happening. my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're back with our all video format chief's got his shirt Walker's got her shirt. I have a shirt, but, oh, well, mine is. Anyway, 
Welcome back. Rebel. <laughs> well, the pods have landed, my friends. This episode, we're dealing with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Not one film. Not two films. You might think we'd stop at three, but this is Plan A, kids. We're covering four films about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Straight away, we'll kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. Take it away, my friend. Yeah, you know, when I was looking uh, online, there's actually six movies. What? Yeah, but the last two, the two, there's one, there was one like two, seven, 2017, and then there was another one, I don't know, 2000 something, but they're like very loosely based. I mean, I wouldn't call that, and neither one is entitled, titled anything about body snatchers, so. Huh. I, I think one was, called, like, oh, one was called like assimilation, I think, or assimilate. And then there was one other, but we're going to do the four main ones. And uh, yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers started as a novel by Jack Finney, Hmm. which is right there. (laughs) And I read it a long, long time ago. So the cobwebs of my mind are not going to allow me to give you too much detail, but it was uh, originally serialized in Collier's Magazine. In 1954. Yeah. And in 1955, they released it compiled into a novel. And the novel, as far as I can tell, is pretty close. I mean, if you watch all these movies, there's certain things that carry over from movie to movie that are basically elements from the book. And uh, one, one difference, though, which I thought was interesting, is in the book, and they didn't mention this in any of the movies... Once people are assimilated or become pod people or whatever, depending on the version of the movie, in the novel, and the novel is pods, they only live five years. Hmm. And then that's it. So the idea is as soon as everyone on the planet is assimilated, within five years, they all die. And the planet is just left as a husk. And the argument by the pod people is that, well, that's what humans do anyway. Just not as quickly. You know, we do, we do it over centuries. They do it over like five years. So what, would, what was the pod people's like ultimate plan? Would they then go as spores again? out? Yeah, of- yeah. They spore out to the next planet okay. and, and do it all over again. But I mean, that's how they survive. And I guess at the end of the novel, spoiler alert, they uh, they don't want to deal with the resistance that the human race is putting up. So they just decide to leave. And they leave a small group of pod people or assimilated people behind. And they're basically killed, wiped out by the remaining humans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of these movies, they don't have a really lighthearted or bright ending <laughs> it's kind of like uh, you know they have a somewhat down downer of an ending but uh, the novel I guess had an ending that was somewhat hopeful so uh, so the first movie though and I've got yes. my physical media is <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers and uh, does someone want to kick off with that since I talked about the novel 
cool shirt. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, Tell us a little bit about Invasion of Body Snatchers. Well, so the first film, like you said, I think you mentioned, the, or maybe you didn't, the first film was made in 1956, uh, directed by Don Siegel, who I believe also went on to make Dirty Harry. Yes. Right. Um, so, yeah, interesting catalog for him. Um, and I, in a lot of ways, I think it was, what I, from what I understand, it was close to the book in a lot of ways, right? It kept... Uh, the pod people aspect, which was ditched by some of the later films. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing to me about this film, it is the only one in black and white. <laughs> and I think because it is in black and white, it has a mood to it that none of the other films have. Um they purposely, like so many black and white films, they purposely use you know shadow and light and certain camera angles to build a feeling of suspense, to build a, a sense of paranoia, um, you know, to kind of leave you wondering about things um, in a way that just I don't think you can do effectively with with color film. It just adds something to the movie to have it in black and white. Yeah, I also also read on the first movie that uh, they were kind of going for a film noir. Yeah, that type makes of sense. Feeling with it. That makes sense to me. Um, and you know, I don't. I think a lot of people have seen it, so I won't do a deep recap. But um, you know, it takes place in this small California town. I, I got kind of a kick out of it because the name of the town is Santa Mira, and I grew up in a town called Santa Maria in California. There you so. Go. Very, very close in name. A lot of similarities there. Yeah, well, I always felt like I was surrounded by pod people when I was growing <laughs> up. So, well, you know, um, the interesting thing I forgot to mention about the novel is it takes place in Marin, Marin, California. Oh. So huh, Santa Mira was sort of like Marin because I think it was supposed to be outside of San Francisco. Okay, so well. it was sort of a stand-in for for Marin. Yeah, I they can just see uh, you know changed the name. I think they ended mm -hmm. up. They were going to shoot up in Marin, but then they ended up going on location down in Southern California to save money. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were, I read there were a number of places um, in Southern California that they shot around, like in Pasadena and some similar well, locales. Well, a quick plug for uh, Ray and Gail Orwig. I was going to say, uh, where are the Orwigs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have the Orwigs book. Um but, uh, yeah, so, so uh, you know, the uh, small town location uh, begins with, uh, you know, Miles uh, Bennell, who is played by Kevin McCarthy. And, you know, you have him running around, you know, telling everybody, oh, they're here, they're here. And I guess initially that didn't play well with the studio and they, they didn't want... Uh, that beginning so that's why we get sort of there's like bookends on the the film of um you know a, an opening and an ending and another thing i read uh, actually in bill warren's book uh keep watching the skies which if any of you guys have you know it's like super thick book yeah and it's a great book um bill sadly not with us anymore but an mm -hmm. excellent uh researcher 
apparently, so the, the studio didn't want it to have, uh, you know, um, our hero running around screaming <laughs> to, like... To end the movie. Right. And they said, well, you know, you need to have, like, a, an intro and an outro in the film. So Siegel and uh, the producer, I think it was, uh, his last name was Wanger, I think. <laughs> anyway, Don't they, were trying, they were actually trying to get Orson Welles to do an intro and an outro for the film. So, I mean, you can just imagine, like, what that would have been like having Wells. They were trying to, they came up with all these different scenarios for how he could do it. He could be sitting in, like, a study, you know, looking very uh, professorial and, you know, saying, well, you know, let me tell you a story, blah, blah, blah. Or they, at one point, they were considering having him standing uh, on the side of the freeway with the Santa Mira sign behind him saying, here is little Santa Mira, blah, blah, blah. That would be more and like they, a William Castle trailer. Twilight Zone, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And they actually got into talks with Wells about it. And um, they just could never, like, really pin him down. He was actually in Europe. Apparently, maybe he was evading... Uh, paying taxes and anyway there was a lot of crazy stuff going on and they just could never get him to sit down and like film anything so the world is never going to see an Orson Welles opening and closing for Invasion of the Body Snatchers but that would have been I think that would have been I don't know it could have either been fantastic or utterly horrible but I, I like the uh, beginning and the end of this film I, I think it works so well, so much so that they borrowed part of it, not just for the, the 78 film, but other parodies. And they actually got the actor to come in there and, you know, do some bits. Um, with with the cell? They, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I mean, the only thing, you know, it, it would have been more powerful without the bookends. But I always love seeing with the cell. He's been in some of my favorite movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I was a teenage werewolf. I was a teenage Frankenstein. So always enjoy seeing Whip the Cell. But I think the other thing that, I don't know, I think I enjoyed was Kevin McCarthy's narration. Hmm. Because when they put the bookends in, it was like a, it was supposed to be like a flashback, and he's telling them what happened. So then you get the narration during the movie where he comments on, you know, on different scenes and things that, I don't know, kind of enjoyed that part, but... Well, you know, sometimes narration works, and then sometimes it doesn't, like Blade Runner. <laughs> but anyway... Let me tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I think Kevin McCarthy makes uh, Miles a very likable character, you know, he seems, I mean, he's a doctor and it's funny how like the way we look at doctors today, as opposed to like how people looked at doctors in the 50s and earlier times. And that was another thing that struck me, like so much of that movie was such a blast from the past, right? Like looking at how people lived in the 50s, mm -hmm. you know, telephones like, hello, operator, can you connect me to blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, it was so many differences. But on the other hand, the important things, how people connected to each other as human beings, that was the important thing. And that, 
really doesn't change, right? I mean, as human beings, we don't change that much from like the 50s. Even, you know, that's why like Shakespeare is still so um, relevant. Our emotions, our feelings for one another are all the same. And so even now watching this film, which I know a lot of people, especially younger folks, have a hard time connecting to older black and white movies. You could see like his rekindling of his romance with, uh, was it Becky, I think, was the name of the... Yeah, I believe so. Right, or how he treated his patients, you know. I mean, he's just, basically, he's a good guy. There's none of, I think there's some of that God complex for doctors kind of present, but regardless, you know, um, he's somebody you can root for, you know, whereas I think in some of the later ones, it's a little harder to root for some of the right the characters. Yeah, I mean, it depends. We'll, get, we'll definitely get into those. But, yeah. But the other thing, uh, too, about taking place in the 50s and the fact that, you know, they're right there next to San Francisco, but they didn't go into San Francisco. They kept it on the outskirts of the suburbs. And back then, it's like everybody knew everybody in town. Right. Everybody knew. I mean, how many of your neighbors do you actually, you know? Yeah, it would be very with? different. Yeah. Today, especially yeah. the younger generations today, they're on their phones, they're on their computers, they're inside, they don't go out. But, right. um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, back then, what, what else did you have to do, right? Go out, talk to people, meet people. And even then, you know, a lot of people didn't like grow up and move away. They grew up. And they stayed in the city or mm-hmm. stayed in the town, got Same jobs town. in the town, whatever. So, yeah, everybody everybody knew each other. So right. it was much easier to see the changes in people as they became pods. And That was, yeah, that was really interesting, too. Like, you know, it's not my uncle. It's like, well, come on, you know, he looks like your uncle. Why would you say he's not your uncle? And all those people suddenly or the little kid running away from home, you know, it's not my mom. Yeah. And it's like, right. oh, everybody's developing some weird psychosis and they're still trying to rationalize it. Right. But then at some point he starts to realize, like, no, there's something really going on here. Well, what is that uniquely human quality that we have? Because, right, there was a conversation about her uncle looks like your uncle, talks like your uncle. And and I asked him questions. All and the he was able to answer. He has the memories. Yeah. Well, then what is it? it? It's that, you know, just like the little kid. It's not my mom. It's not mm-hmm. my mom. What do you mean? And, you know, the whole thing about it's, it's not just a doctor. It's a small town doctor. Yeah. So, you know, he probably gave birth, you know, helped give the mother give birth to that kid, knows the family. And, you know, like you were saying, all those relations and all that knowledge that they have of the town folk. Not that it's a little village, but. You know, it was a small town, which in reality, Santa Maria was kind of a small town. Um, it, it just worked on so many levels. You know, I always talk about the older movies and the acting. There was no CGI. There was no blue screen. They had to act like they were scared to death. And they did. I understand more now. But as a kid, that movie scared the crap out of me. And I was afraid to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the uniquely human things doesn't matter where you are on this earth or up in the moon or even up on planet eight, you have to sleep. And if you've been deprived of sleep for 24 or 48 hours, 
there's a certain kind of hurt and a you know little baddiness that goes on in the gray matter. Oh, there, that, there's a lot of sleep going on on planet A. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, sleep in an, sleep of itself. You know, sometimes there is a fear of sleep, right? Because you start to connect sleep with death. Like, what if I don't wake up? You know, there sleep well, don't is do that. <laughs> sleep is the little yeah, I death, try not to right? Have those thoughts, but so so yeah, there is the idea of you could go to sleep and never wake up, or you could, in this case, go to sleep, and then you won't be you. Won't you. Be. Well, I'm, you know, not falling asleep, but I'm afraid of pulling an Elvis. That's where I think I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hope not. Okay. But but the, you know it's interesting the the whole theme in this you know is sort of around identity and like you're getting at Larry like what well, what makes us human right mm-hmm. and it's sort of some ineffable quality right you could have memories you could have the appearance but those feelings that ability to relate to another human being on on an emotional level. Is it that spirit? Is it a soul? Is it, you know, what is that That uniquely human? Right. The emotional Um, spark. But also keep in mind. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, you can can kind of sense that in another human being, but there's no way to measure it. Right. You can't detect it. You just, you you feel it and you you know, you know, um, we've all had friends and family who suffered forms of dementia and when they start going away it's a very hard thing to to deal with or if they lose that ability to communicate with you but they can still hold your hand you know there's a point where you still feel who they are and then unfortunately there's a point where that that's not there anymore and you know what was what was kind of telling to me is, is when he went in there to kill the pods as they were growing, you know, the, the bubbles and, and he, he looked at his girlfriend, he, he couldn't do it. He, he went and he killed his pod. Hopefully he went afterwards and got her, but probably not because spoiler alert, she becomes one of them. Okay. Which didn't make sense. Yeah. Where was her pod? But, yeah. But, but still. Yeah. One thing you have to learn from all of these movies though, Never leave someone behind to go look for help, because it never ends well. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It really doesn't. To varying and, and another thing, of, uh, not working well. It didn't happen in this movie, but like, if the dog runs from it, you should run from it too. <laughs> don't don't stay there. That is true. Yeah. But I mean, I, I another say, thing that this movie has really like in common with Thing from Another World, they're both in the fifties. And it was during the whole McCarthyism yeah. and who's communist, who's not. And so, especially with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's like, don't show emotion. Just walk and you'll blend in. Well, you know, a lot of the people in the 50s that were, you know, following communism, they were also trying to blend in. They kept it secret. They didn't want anyone to know that they were different from everybody else. And... uh it kind of hits both movies. Kind of hit that theme uh, about absolutely. You know, and, no, go ahead, Waki. I was going to say it's and it's funny because you could interpret this movie, excuse me, two ways, right? You could interpret it as the pod people represent communists, 
And then a lot of people had ideas about, oh, you know, the Russians, they're ice cold. They don't care about human life, because we always think our enemies don't value human life and all that kind of stuff. Or you could also interpret it as um, uh, against, uh, you know, McCarthy and the HUAC uh, activities and stuff who, you know, those people who just sort of blindly went after um, people, and I hate to use the term witch hunt, which has been overused by certain people, um, but, you know, Joe McCarthy did basically engage in witch hunts against people um, for a variety of reasons, and you could say, oh, you know, the McCarthyites were the pod people. So you could use whichever political view uh, you had and put it on the, it's, the it's pod kind people. Of, it's kind of interesting that, you know, the pod people, they were plant-based life. So was the thing from another world, yeah. uh, at least in the original film. Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting connection. Parallel. Yeah, well, parallel that I, they had. I wonder what it is or what it was about concerns about sort of losing one's identity I mean, this whole movie, you could look at it as, as like, like individualism versus conformity. And, you know, maybe this is another thing, which I think is sort of an outdated idea nowadays, but there was sort of the Western idea of like individualism and what we considered. And again, I'm saying this was an old idea and I don't know if, if it has any validity. There was the thought that Eastern uh, uh, societies valued um, the group over the individual, you know, so you could also see it as sort of that idea of like, hey, in the West, you know, we have to guard against this idea of losing our, you know, rugged individualism or whatever. But, um, but Walker, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or, but, or the but then you go back and you save the one because the needs of the one. So it's all a bunch of crap. Ultimately. <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, the two main characters, they're rediscovering each other. They're falling in love. And the one thing that this whole pod thing is going to take away is emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we're falling in love, but... Yeah, we'll still be the same and we'll still have the same thoughts, but we'll no longer be in love. And that kind of yeah. carries into the 78 version as well. Um, I don't yeah. know if it... The other two, uh, not so much, but yeah, and definitely the first two versions, um, there's definitely that theme of, I don't want to be a pod person. I don't want to lose what I have right now. Yeah. Right. right. You know, one thing that I thought was really chilling is when um, Miles goes and he's trying to check on his uh, receptionist and he gets to her house and he, he's looking through the window and he, he sees a whole group of people there. So he's realizing, oh, my, they're, they're pod people. And one guy comes into the room with a pod and he says, is the baby asleep? Yeah. And she's like, yes, there will be no more tears now. And it was just like, oh, man, that was just so, mm -hmm. I mean, so cold. And the thought of they're going to do that to the baby. Mm -hmm. 
just, yeah. You know, it's one thing with the adults, but just, yeah, to think about that with the baby for some reason, just really like it was uh, just got to me. Everyone mm-hmm. must be assimilated. Yeah. Nice. And the, and the, Resistance is futile. I know, you know, it's like we talked a little bit earlier about, well, you know, there's no real, like, special, great special effects in this. But I did like the pods, and I kind of thought they were effective. You know, when you see, like, the sort of half-formed bodies coming out of the pods, yeah. and there's all the little bubbles and secretions and things and the sound effects were really good as well yeah all practical effects my friends Mm -hmm. my heart broke when they set some of those pods on fire and I'm like no (laughs) I want to put one in my garage (laughs) one one great memory I have of this movie was Will showed it one time I believe I I believe Will was showing it at Thrillville Will the Thrill and Mr. Lobo was the host. <laughs> I don't know if you guys were here for this one. I don't remember this but, one. But, yeah. Vaguely. Eric Yee made a pod. And they rolled this pod out onto the stage. It broke open and Lobo came out of it and started hosting the show. <laughs> and that, was, that was hilarious. That's good. But That's really good. We got some good Lobo stories, uh, some not uh, able to, to transmit on these broadcasts. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was, it's fun, you know. It's a, I would say it's a fun film, but, you know. Do you think the ending, do you think the ending was unnecessarily um, upbeat considering the rest of the film? Well, I mean, I, I would have rather had it end with Kevin McCarthy saying, you're next, you're mm-hmm. next. Because of the, the last time he says you're next, he's looking like right into the camera, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like you're not just the people on the trucks and the cars are around him. It's right. like you in the audience, you're next. And yeah. that would have been a cool ending. But yeah, yeah, the studio just thought it was a little too much and had to uh, tone it down. Well, that's what happens. I mean, same, you know, we were talking about Rathacon earlier. I mean, the whole ending had to change because, you know, financial reasons it didn't test well with the audience and you know i know the audiences really need hope at the end of a movie i I guess so i mean i i would have preferred and in my mind i thought that it ended with him saying you're next you're next not oh thank god you know they believe me now and i was kind of get the military let's go take care of these things yeah yeah you you go do this and go do that i mean Um, talk about like hopeless movies i think the the movie with the least amount of hope in an ending other than night living dead because you know yeah there he is he's he survived he's the only one that survived and pop he's gone but it was the mist did you guys see that horrible one that ending is just brutal but yeah well maybe we'll do something on that later i won't ruin that ending for you but that's probably one of the most brutal endings I've seen in a in a genre film of this type. Hmm. I, Larry looks like he hasn't seen the movie. Well, I, I have not. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's worth yeah, it's worth seeing just so you can walk away depressed at the end. I, I saw <laughs> the, the TV show or a version of it, uh, 
and it didn't really capture the imagination. No, no, the movie's to- totally different. It, and like I said, the ending just, bam, hits you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a rough ending. So, <laughs> anyways, should we uh, fast forward 20-odd years? Sure. This is probably my favorite version of the Invasion. It's not really a franchise, is it? Uh, invasion uh, sort of kind movies. Kind of, sort of. Take it away. Cultural remakes. Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Veronica Cartwright, Jeff Goldblum, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, you know, this, this uh, iteration of the film came out a year before, uh, almost a year before the motion picture. Um, December 22nd, 1978. And don't forget, Kevin McCarthy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's been running and yelling for 20, 20-some-odd years. He- and, and that was the great part. And maybe that's why I thought, you know, it ended that way because he, he shows up, you know, running and, and yelling. Uh, this is directed by Philip Kaufman. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the 70s were a funny time, kids. And uh, Donald Sutherland, his character's like a... a like a meat inspector, I think, or health, a restaurant health inspector. Health inspector, yeah. Health yeah. inspector, yeah. Who finds raptors. Vocations, you know, the, the, he's not a doctor in a small right. town. This takes place in San Francisco. Yeah, and this one, they did move it into the city. Yeah, which kind of amped up the creep factor for me, you know? Um, and, and a young Jeff Goldblum. He, oh, yeah. Very young. Yeah. Um, this was so well acted. And, you know, it, this this had the sleep aspect to it. Um, the pods weren't these huge pods. There's actually a scene where there's rain falling in a window and it shows these plants. You know, they kind of like sp- spread from s- the s- winds of space or, you know, whatnot. Um, but they, they yeah. grow, don't they? Because... Yeah, because yeah, even one, one, one guy like carrying one and, and that. And, and, you know, I, I liked. Can I just mention that the sure. beginning they have that planet. They show that whole planet that they're on, and and then they're sort of like woof, going into space. It was yeah, like taking like like what are those uh, little things you wish? The dandelion. dandelion. Yeah. 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 They said uh, they did that with this viscous material that they found. It was almost like uh, like plastic. But when you melted it, it was like just, you know, it would float and things. And they just kind of like blew it across the screen and, you know, mm-hmm. against the space background and whatever. So still, we're still in the pro- practical effects here. So we're still very much in practical effects and, and great acting. I mean, you know, so for those of you that are Star Trek fans, you see Nimoy as Spock, and he transitions into Mission Impossible. Was not really that visible. I'm sure he did theater and some other things, and then he shows up in this movie. Ultimately, turns out to be a, a very bad pawn person. Um, and, it, you know, as a kid, I remember, like, kind of, like, not really understanding, Spock you know. Spock wouldn't do that. <laughs> and we think, yeah, where's the logic? And 
but I appreciate it so much more now. Um, Donald Sutherland was just, he was in everything back then. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have to be a, a Van, you know, Vin Diesel or, you know, whatever the young hot stars are with abs and you, you just needed to act and that guy. Well, he um, had like distinct features as well. I mean, yeah, he comes on the screen and you know that's Donald Sutherland. There was a yeah. movie before that that I really enjoyed that I haven't seen since the 70s, but it was uh, Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould in a uh, in a movie, Spies. Oh, yeah. As and for whatever reason, back then I saw that in the theater. I really enjoyed that. And I really liked Donald Sutherland. And so, yeah, it was like easy for me to kind of accept him and you know, want to see him in this. But I had no idea who we, we saw. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the movie, but Elliot Gould, it, it was a very serious role. And Jasmine's reference to Elliot Gould was, oh, is that so-and-so's father from Friends? <laughs> that's, that's Elliot Gould. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say I've never seen an episode of Friends, so I can't say it. You're, you're lucky. Um, well, there, there are some that are good anyway. Well, I was going to say that, yeah, I, to piggyback off what you were saying, Larry, that, um, yeah, it was refreshing to see an actor who, yeah, it wasn't a muscle bound guy. And yeah, his features, I mean, you look at him, he's also not what you would think of as like a romantic yeah. um, lead, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. look at yeah. him. And it's like, this is not the best-looking guy either. I mean, honestly. But, yeah, he was able to pull off all these roles. Um, (laughs) Physical media. And I was thinking there was a movie they used to show a lot on uh, one of the L.A. channels when I was a kid, and now I cannot remember. I feel like it was the Corsican Brothers or something where he played... I think it was him playing both brothers. Maybe it was Gene Wilder. <laughs> Maybe I'm confused with these curly, curly-haared curly blonde guys. guys. Anyway, those seventy somebody, firms. Somebody watching the show, the podcast can tell me. But yeah. anyway, do carry on. Do carry on. Even Mr. Brady no, no. got a perm back then. Yeah, you know he. Um, so a lot of the film takes place in the the you know night life night uh time of of san francisco there there's some day shots and stuff but as as the movie progresses and and you know there's always a sense of paranoia so in the first film mccarthyism by the time 78 we've already gone through you know well nixon didn't get impeached but you know the vietnam war um the the whole watergate thing and people were leery and not really trustworthy or trusting of of our government. And that kind of led to the paranoia. And, you know, who is my friend? Who can I trust? You know, what's happening? What happened to that trust? Mm -hmm. And it's palatable. I mean, you really get a feeling of of a different form of paranoia, I thought. No, I think you're you're dead on. I think trust in in authority figures had really eroded at that point. And I know growing up, you know, I I didn't have a lot of trust and I certainly didn't trust the government growing up, mm-hmm. you know, because of the things you mentioned. 
And um, it was just sort of baked in. It was, it was like you knew, like, oh, yeah, these things had happened. Our government had done a lot of bad things. And authority figures were, you didn't necessarily take their word for anything. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, just the way it was. And so I think you're you're right. You know, we're in a 78, you're in a, a period of that kind of paranoia. And I think another thing that was going on, you know, it was the me decade. So there was all this like heavy introspection right. people were going through. And I think this was sort of the era where all the self-help stuff started coming out. And, mm-hmm. You know, all the kind of pseudo psychology things were happening. So people were already kind of turning inward. Um, and that was, that, that was sort of the whole Nimoy character. That's, that was his thing. Right. Right. He was, he was trying to self help everybody through uh, self-awareness and all that. But, and of course, Jeff Goldblum's the one that thinks it's all just a bunch of hooey. But. <laughs> yeah. And until what he was at like at a massage parlor or something, was that what it was? Well, he had a bath. I thought it was know, like his right. his family's bath there in in San Francisco. And yeah, yeah it was like having that. Uh, well, having never gone into one of those bath places, it, I it was like okay, I guess that's what they're like. I don't know. Yeah, I can't um, say I haven't been in either. But I, I, the closest I ever came was a documentary about the Sutro baths, and that was um, Shreffen. November Fire, if you guys get a chance, he's got a lot of good documentaries. Um, Playland at the Beach. and Anyway, yeah, the Sutro was this huge swimming pool they had down Land's End, San oh, Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great documentary. But yeah, it, it, I, okay, so yeah, it wasn't a massage part. It was like a, a family-run bathhouse. So. <laughs> well, I don't think his wife was giving anybody happy endings or anything no. like that. <laughs> And not, then, yeah, Veronica Cartwright. And Veronica Cartwright, that was that was like her time because she was an alien next after after this. Yeah, and she's playing that kind of like scared, paranoid person. And there is something be. that both this movie and Alien had in common. Have to think for a second. When they were shooting the uh, scene in Alien where the chest burster comes out, uh, they didn't tell anyone what was going to happen. So they could get the actual reaction. Now in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, spoiler alert, at the end you see Elliot Gould, uh, yeah, you see see him walking, Elliot Gould running, I'm thinking spies again. Donald Sutherland (laughs) is like walking up towards the city hall and Veronica Cartwright shows up and it's obvious that she's been faking it the whole time. And she walks up to him. And supposedly, no one told her what was going to happen. And they only told they only told Donald Sutherland, like, the night before. <laughs> so he couldn't, like, blow it. And then she walks up, and he just, like, points it. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of like her... Reaction. I don't want to that, catch that. like that surprised, you know, fear reaction. Because she thought she was going to walk up to him and oh, they both survived and everything's great. And then you know, yeah. and that, that ending is great. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great yeah. ending. D- different from the first film, but just as fun and and um, 
Well, it feels authentic, right? It yeah. feels like when you see it, you're like, yeah, that's probably what would happen. And, and so. just, you know, like Bob did this. Well, I mean, they had those screams in the next one we'll talk about in 93, but they were pretty much screams. This one, if you, if you, there's a little thing on the DVD about the sound effects, mm-hmm. and they use screams, and they use pig squeals, and they had all these things that they combined to make that right. sound mm-hmm. when... Uh, well, a lot of pod the, people see someone who's not a pod person. And, right, it was Ben Burt who did the Star Wars yeah. sound effects. Yeah. So that guy is amazing, all this stuff. And in like some of the uh, sounds earlier in the film, I knew at one point, uh, I think it was maybe when they were showing one of the pods or something, I heard this sound and I'm like, oh, that's like a heartbeat from an ultrasound. Because I had gone yeah. and had a, an ultrasound in my heart a while back. And sure enough, I was doing some of the reading and they were like, yeah, he, he took an ultrasound. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, that guy is obviously very uh, inventive and captures all sorts. I, he must just walk around his whole environment <laughs> recording stuff. Like, oh, oh man. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, think if, that's your, if that was your job. Yeah. And he's just like wandered around all day and it's like oh there's a squeaky swing over here i think i'll record that i could use that for something you know or whatever but um yeah i mean that would be that would be a blast how many animal noises can i put together to make this you know (laughs) squeal or sound or whatever i really liked this one though because it um it managed to build up the suspense and the paranoia really well. You know, it just sort of kind of continued to climb. It was similar to the first one, I think, in that aspect. Um, And it felt, again, like they made a, they did a good job connecting you to the characters. Um, The actors were really good. Um, You really wanted everybody to survive. Um, What really worked for me is that the the hero, the the star, if you will, didn't make it. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the other actresses made it, well, up to that point. Well, they they did talk to the director and the producer of the original film. And, you know, they did express that this was the original ending and we didn't want it to be hopeful. We wanted this and this. And so they carried that on into this film. But uh, but whoever knew, whoever knew that Karen Allen could rotate her eyes in opposite directions. Oh, you know what? I, I kept thinking it was Karen Allen, but it was um, Brooke Adams. Oh, oh well, okay. Yeah, I, I, I know. They're very similar actresses. And They're I, twins. When I was, I was watching <laughs> it. Yeah, that was freaky when she was doing that stuff with her eyes. Yeah, no um, CGI kids. That was... That was real. Now, I will say it, it reminded me watching this like, oh, yeah, 70s movies tend to have, you know, very casual nudity. Um, you know, there are moments where they showed uh, Brooke Adams nude um, or the pod people sort of nude, but they're sort of not, not really developed yet. Um, oh, yes. Films, especially genre films and action films in the 70s, had a lot of gratuitous boobage. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like, 
All right, we got to write it in here. Here's a good spot for it. Although, you know, some of it made sense, obviously. Like, if you just popped out of the pod, you're going to be naked. So that didn't... I I will say the third one, I thought, had way more gratuitous nudity than this one. Um, Mm -hmm. But... There's only so much butt cleavage that I can handle. And so... (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, this film, uh, for me, I don't know. I, I think now that I've watched them again, I think... Uh, the first one and the second one are kind of neck and neck for me as far as uh, mm-hmm. which do I like. They're both, they're different enough. Um, I was going to say, yeah. You know, it's hard enough for me. It's hard for me to say which I like better. I tend to go with 70s films just because I like the 70s as an era, but yeah. uh, the 50s one is pretty darn good. 70s you could, you could actually cool. look at these as the second one being a continuation of the first especially with Kevin McCarthy reprising his role in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, because it's like, okay, all that was happening out in Santa Mira or Marin or wherever, and now it's coming into San Francisco. Because they were driving the pods out to different places. So Mm -hmm. um, you could say, all right, this is the continuation. This is when the pods hit San Francisco. Because you could see it happening out in Santa Mira, and not being big news or not getting to San, you know, the word not right. getting out to San Francisco. You know, and so what they they wiped out most of it, and it took twenty years for the yeah. spores or whatever to come back, or whatever. I mean, who knows? But if you want, I mean, those are the only two that are in any way connected. The other two are, although yeah, yeah no, there's a connection in the fourth movie, but we'll get to that later. Well, speaking of turd, I mean third. Um, <laughs> There's one last thing about the 78 one, though. Yes. There's one image from that movie that I will carry with me to my dying days. Oh, yes. And it just, it, it's just too much. It's the hobo dog. <laughs> yep, yep. He should have been, Why? he should have had a banjo, though. <laughs> that would have made, made it perfect. It's the, the hobo dog walking up and playing the banjo. <laughs> it, it truly, it's one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen. And the, the thing that caps it off is the tongue going out looking around the face. It's just Here, really. here's, the, here's the thing is that, Karen, you've seen John Carpenter's thing. And for you to say that this was the most disturbing, one of the most disturbing things you've seen it's, in the original Alien yes. film. Yes, it disturbs me more than anything in The Thing or Alien. And I think it's because I'm such a dog lover. The thought of, like, my dog running up with some hobo's face or something is just like... Or you ending up with your dog's face? (laughs) That's pretty much what happened. He was, like, sleeping with his dog out on the street, and there was a pod there, and the pod got confused. Yeah, well, it's 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 nasty. It's just nasty. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, that is disturbing, actually. But okay, who, who's taking number three? I guess I can. <laughs> I probably no one wants to take it. I actually enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, I thought it was cool that they didn't just make another remake. That they took it out of the settings they put it in a military base and 
and had it all take place, you know, within like military housing and everything else. And you know, I figured, you know, that, that makes sense because they've already got helicopters and planes and tanks and things where they can transport all this stuff. It would kind of make sense to start the invasion there. But uh, again, it, it's uh, it's pods for the most part. And uh, yeah, it's basically it starts off with a uh, with a guy who uh, I don't know he's investigating something. He's investigating the EPA. Yeah, he's part of the EPA, and he's mm-hmm. investigating things there. And so he brings his his wife, and I think it's her son and his daughter to uh, to this yeah. military base, and it's kind of goes off and follows the daughter's story as she's trying to uh, get along with the stepmom and, you know, her dad's being too restrictive and she's mad at him and then, you know, she goes off and she meets another girl at the military base about the same age and then they meet a couple guys and, you know, it's just kind of like teen drama stuff and, uh, and all the parents are getting converted into pod people. And, uh, you know, you talk about the, uh, the dog, the hobo dog in the first, in the last movie, there's a scene in this movie where she's up in the helicopter with her boyfriend and they save her brother. Oh yeah. And he comes on the, he gets on the helicopter he starts attacking the pilot, you know, just like grabbing his eyes and starting gouging his eyes. Yeah. And, and he's like a seven year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. A little kid. <laughs> And she ends up having to throw him out of the helicopter. And you just see him, like, falling backwards, you know, towards the ground. And the whole way down, he's pointing and <laughs> doing the scream and everything. And I I thought that was pretty cool. It was a cool ending to, you know, what you see in a lot of movies, the creepy little kid. So, but I, like I said, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, you know. For what it was, I you know, I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it. I kind of enjoyed it. I, I don't own the physical media, and I doubt I will invest in it. <laughs> <laughs> Bob just buys everything. Hey, Go ahead. You know. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know if the military base was a great idea or not. Um, I guess I guess they wanted to try something new, so I'll give them that. Um, I guess I just didn't I didn't really like or care for any of the characters in this one. That was my biggest problem, I guess, was I I didn't uh, didn't connect with any of them. I, I, Not just, many you know, did. I mean, I think it made about forty thousand at the box office or something like that. They only released it in like twelve theaters. Uh, and uh, um, so, yeah. I don't know that I felt any jeopardy, like, or maybe you're right, Walker. Just didn't care for the characters. I mean, maybe they were in jeopardy, but it was like, uh, yeah, I just sort of didn't care about them. So it made it hard for me to really stay engaged, focused, and get, or yeah. engaged with it. Yeah, it was sort of mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, now this is happening. Now that's happening. Okay, um, yeah. Okay. If 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 you like this movie good for you i mean you know i like batman versus superman batman <laughs> oh versus god superman, so <laughs> <laughs> i 
probably get in there one way or another. But one thing we didn't mention, this movie was actually just called Body Snatchers. It was not Invasion right. out of the Body there Snatchers. There was no Invasion. Just it was just Body Snatchers. Body they snatchers. were just not invading. They were just and snatching. By, by the fourth film that was the adult film, they just called it Snatchers. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, the fourth film was actually called... Oh, the fourth film, which your commander did invasion. not watch. Right there. Oh, you, oh, that's the, the Nicole Kidman one. Actually, I did see that back in the day. Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig in his pre-Bond days. Was that Daniel Craig? He was very young. That's yeah, what I you was know, thinking. Back when I saw, I did see this one in the, in the movie theaters. I and, think I did too, Bob. Yeah, yeah and I, 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 I don't think not. at any point when I saw it in the theaters, I thought, you know... That guy would make a good James Bond. <laughs> yeah, <exactly right. laughs> he was British, but you know. Yeah. And then not only that, but Jeffrey Wright was in the movie. A young Jeffrey. Jeffrey Wright, Wright who Wright. played Felix Leiter in the Bond films, mm-hmm. and the, yeah, the took Daniel Craig Bond films. Remember. And that. just to finish the trifecta, the little kid who gets chucked out of the helicopter. Mm-hmm. His name, the actor's name was Jackson Bond. Trifecta. I, I thought you were going to say the fourth film opened with him splatting on the ground <laughs> and then this one starts. No, that would be the next film. They make another one, they have to start with him just finishing that fall. There you go. But there's no pods in this one, which I thought was interesting. It was a virus. Mm. And the CDC's involved. And you look at the virus and, you know, everyone wants to, you know, they have to get the uh, inoculations and they have to get all that. And it's like very similar to what we experienced not too long ago with the whole COVID thing. Yeah, it's like everyone's well, but got this was done like years ago. So it's yeah, it was 2007, I believe, right? Well, with any virus, you've got to get, yeah. you know, vaccines or whatever. So, yeah. But, I mean, just looking at it now, knowing what we know now, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of eerily similar to mm. to later real-life events. Mm. But, uh, no, I thought Nicole Kidman was good in this. Uh, Daniel Craig was good as well. Uh, he ends up because See, now, this is one where they did have a happy ending because... They found out that the kid, well, they, the kid in this one, had an immunity to it. And so they were able to make a serum and cure everybody. And then even though Daniel Craig was a pod person and got shot and all that, he's in the house with her, raising her son and her son's best friend. And, uh, yeah, so. We know what was odd about this one, um I, I did a little reading because that's kind of what I do. And um, apparently <laughs> the studio was unhappy with Again? The, they're always unhappy. The studios unhappy. hate this movie. Um, these movies. And, you know, gosh, I, I had it here. They brought in so, the, the Wachowski brothers, right? Exactly. Yeah. So they were unhappy with the version that the original director, whose name I may brutalize, Oliver... Kirsch Beagle. So Oliver 
turned in his version, and I think they felt it didn't have enough zing to it. And so, and it maybe didn't test well, because, you know, they always test this stuff. And so, yeah, they brought in the Wachowskis. And you can really tell, now that I read this, thinking about it, because I just watched this one, um, like the whole last half hour is like a big car chase, and there's all this crazy stuff going on, and they're chasing them. they got to get up a building, and, you know, all this stuff is happening. That was like all the Wachowskis coming in, writing like, oh, we got to have action, action, action. Because um, I guess it was a much more calmer ending right. that the original director put together. So, I was yeah. Say, I could imagine Nicole Kidman, like the first three quarters of the movie, acting and, well, could it be? Sure, maybe we should. And then the last part, like, oh, shit, run. <laughs> Pretty much what it is. She's, you know, very calmly trying to figure out what is going on. There's something happening. Ooh, oh, my gosh, I think there's a conspiracy. Oh, I, my baby, I have to protect. And then all of a sudden she's like going down the street. I need Kung Fu and Dynamite. <laughs> Kung Fu and Dynamite. So, yeah, it's sort of like she becomes an action hero in the last half hour, which is There's somewhat this hilarious. There's a discussion, great discussion I had with Karen years ago on a film when Robert Downey did the Sherlock Holmes. And, and I'm like, you didn't like the movie? And she's like, Sherlock Holmes does not need karate or Kung Fu and Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stand by my statement. <laughs> uh, God bless. Um, but overall, I mean, I know Larry didn't it, watch it, but I don't know. I saw it when it first came out. I remember Nicole Kidman, and I, I didn't know it was Daniel Craig, but yeah, I, I yeah. did see that film. I thought there were some interesting parts to it. I thought it was, they really did kind of build up that whole creepiness pretty well and then it just yeah it sort of took off into like a chase thing um but i like the pods because the thing with the pods because like you said at the end is like oh everybody got the antidote and they're okay with the pods like there's just no chance because you're not you're not being turned into something you're being duplicated and they're like the really what there was that really creepy part in um the 78 version where um you know, Sutherland and uh, Brooke Adams have been running and running and she lays down and she's like, I'm so tired. And he's holding her and then she just crumbles. And then her yeah. pod person stands up and that was so creepy. Right. So like when you're taken over, you just disappear. You know, you're turning into nothing. Well, even in um, the 93 film, it's like you see people and they're there with like a dustpan and a broom sweeping up their old bodies. Is it have turned to dust? Right. And then another one, so, like, carrying a garbage bag out to a dump truck. So, yeah, there's no going back. This one, truck. it was kind of like, uh, it's just a virus, and you can, you know, we can fix everything. So. Well, that's that's the gross thing, too, because, you know, everybody's puking on everybody else. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't great. But, well, my friends... Any last thoughts on any of the four films that were watched? Don't leave your loved ones behind to go look for help. Don't fall asleep. Drag them. Drag them along. And don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. And and fast cars are a plus also on some dynamite. Fire kills all. Dragon mobile. 
That's what you need. Dragonmobile. Use the Dragonmobile. We got to do another of those. That was one of my favorite episodes, too, was that dystopian uh, future. Uh, what were you gave each of us a scenario? Yeah, and, yeah, to, and that's when that the Dragonmobile was created. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, he says, I'll well, do my- like a custom model of a Dragonmobile or whatever. <laughs> I'd love to see a, a rendering of it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, do design. Well, well, I just wonder if if they. I guess we didn't really talk about it in the, in the last two movies. The first two movies, we kind of talked about what was the underlying meaning oh. of like the pod people. Right. I don't know what it really was in the the last two movies. When I think about it, um, what's the fear driving? Well, the, you know, there may have been a fear of epidemics because you had things like Andromeda Strain and. Well, that's a good one. Things like that. So I could that could have been part of it. Just the although that was two thousand seven. When was the Andromeda strain? That was like early Oh, that was in the seventies. That was like seventy eight or seventy nine, I wanna yeah. say. Was well then I don't maybe, know. I have no clue. Yeah. And like <laughs> if they if they remade it today, what would the what would the fear be? Yeah, I think they could make the two thousand seven version today. And people would equate it to COVID and all that. Yeah, spreading unfortunately. Of this, spreading of the virus. I, I'd, go, I'd go retro. Everybody's and, getting um, it. Go back to the 50s. I'd go back to pods. I don't know if I'd do San Francisco or a small town, but I'd, 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 I'd go a period piece. Well, I mean, now the Cole Kidman 2007 film was the only one not in California. Oh, yeah. Right? She's in so D.C. They were out in Washington, D.C. Was the... Well, 93, that was like yeah, I don't think Midwest or somewhere. Yeah, it was out somewhere in the... Alabama or, or somewhere. Yeah. All right, I take that back. Well, if it... if Yeah, if it was done today, it's like, what are people really fearful of today? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if it was me, it would be like, all these people just looking at their phones. Maybe they'd pop out of the pod and they'd all be looking at phones or something. <laughs> I don't know. I think a, a better film to be remade or even just to watch was uh, would be Them with Rowdy Rowdy Piper um, <laughs> with today. And, and oh, they live. They live. They live. That's what. That's what it is. Yeah, Them was live. the ant. Not the ant movie. Sorry. Yeah. You can combine the two. <laughs> them lives. Roddy, and it, Rowdy Roddy Piper riding in on a giant ant. Yep, that yeah. would be exciting. But that would be cool. Now, supposedly they are remaking them, but with ants. With ants, yeah, huh. giant ants. But what? that's just a rumor. We'll see if it ever gets made. But nothing, nothing will be as cool as the original. True. Very true. You know, giant anything is just fun, be it a 50-foot woman, Godzilla, Mothra, Gamera, Kong, A. Speaking of giant monsters, let's get into our new version of the sensor suite. I don't know what we're going to call this, the round table, the round robin. Well, it could um, still be a sensor suite. It's, still a it's just sweeping all of us. 
sweeping all the the group sweep. Bob has something really cool mm-hmm. to share. I have lots of things really cool. Absolutely. I know last episode I talked about our Ultra Fest that's coming up and our Godzilla Fest, and we're continuing to plan and get those together. And uh, cool things are happening all the time. So keep your eye on BayAreaFilmEvents.com. Uh, in fact, one thing we added is we're trying to do an Ultraman art gallery in the theater. And so if you go to BayAreaFilmEvents.com slash Ultraman, there's a link to a page that has all the criteria for submitting your art to the show. And uh, hopefully we will display it at our discretion. Um, but uh, I was going to talk about this last time. I picked up a book. Yes, I have a book. And this is by Edgar Wallace. And uh, it's an original, the original screenplay for Kong. So cool. And the book, beautiful book, hardcover. You can hear that? Hardcover book. Full color painting on the cover by Bob Eggleton. And inside, uh, there's original movie posters. There's other illustrations. There's behind-the-scenes photos. A lot of cool stuff. And it is basically, like I say, Edgar Wallace's original screenplay to King Kong, which is different from what finally made it to the screen. So... For any King Kong fans, uh, a very interesting thing to pick up and read, and and you'll find out things you never knew before. Because <laughs> as far as I know, you know, unless you, unless you're a big movie collector and you got hold of scripts, you know, I think most people listening to the podcast, watching the podcast, have no idea what the original screenplay was like. Indeed, so pick that up, and you will know. Very cool. So is it markedly different? I have not read it yet. I, oh. just, I literally just got it, so. Okay, and we don't just have to couldn't tell wait to talk about it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do a book report in a later episode. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. An oral book report, stand up in front of class. <laughs> what are you watching these days, Bob? You any, you know. Oh, we're still making our way through Penny Dreadful. Mm-hmm. And... And here's where I get on my soapbox and complain. There's a company that bought out the CW. And they're making it all non-scripted programming. Oh, no. Take that for however you will. But that's why they canceled things like Batwoman and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and... Superman and Lois, which is excellent these days. That's going to be canceled. They're on their last season. Um, Gotham Knights, which just started up. Axed, canceled. Uh, If you watch anything like the new Kung Fu, or uh, if you watch the Winchesters, which we really enjoyed, uh, that's over and done with because it was not renewed. Well, is there any chance these shows could migrate to... They're talking about Superman and Lois going over to uh, what was HBO Max, but now I think as of like next week or something, it's going to be called Max. Which is weird. So so they they may pick up... They may pick up others, but um, 
hopefully definitely picking up Superman and Lois. But we shall see. But yeah, I mean, you know, they they as of the recording of this episode, we're in the midst of another writer's strike. And uh, it was the original writer's strike back in 2008 that spawned things like Survivor and American Idol and all these reality shows that have led to the ruin of civilization as we know it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully... Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I'm trying to think, what do I watch on just TV these days, over-the-air TV? I get me TV that way, so I can watch Sven Gulli and what have you. But as far as, like, networks and new shows, it was pretty much the CW and, uh, and the, hmm. uh, the DC stuff. And, um, you know, other than the Giants games or 49ers or something. But, yeah, I mean, it's slowly... People who were cutting the cords and using antennas and things, now you can cut your antenna and then what do you do? You stream, but you're back... You're back paying like hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars a month for your programming. Right. Well, Walker, my friend, what have well, you to share? Well, and this is not earth shattering, but I finally broke down and I got Whoa. the series from Kino Lorber. Is your good call Jack? So I started to watch this, but, you know, we got so much stuff we need to watch for a program. (laughs) And then there's other stuff I watch. Yeah, we already did a Cold Shack one. And we did Cold Shack, so it's sort of like low priority, but I'm I'm just glad I have it in the collection now because it was kind of a hole. And I mean, I had the movies, but I didn't have the series so that felt like eh, you need to buy that so just filling that hole in the collection basically um, Good. do you have the Kino Lorber movies I don't recall if I got it the movies from Kino Lorber or not the movies I that to... I have are uh, Midnight Marquee mm. mm-hmm. I enjoy the um, commentary on the Kino Lorber uh, so I switched all of my culture uh, physical media over to and oh. upgraded to Blu-ray. Um, on the set that you have, the TV series Walker, um, a lot of the uh, some of the commentary is just fans talking about favorite. You know, and, and you sort of like this show. Into it, <laughs> kind of like you know what we're doing. So I don't know. Maybe we should revisit Kolchak um, down the road. Anyway. Um, congratulations. That's a good set to have. Um, thank you. Anything on TV or, uh, social, um, uh, streaming with the still, card gone? It's like, I know that was so disappointing. I was enjoying that so much. It was like, Oh, and now there's nothing. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Cause, uh, Picard and Mandalorian both pretty much ended around the, just the about the same week. time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Programming fell off the face of the earth. Oh, still slowly making my way through. Um, we've been watching the Sarah Connor Chronicles still. That, that's only, an interesting take on AI as well. Yeah, so. It's only two seasons, but it's like, well, yeah. for a while they were watching one every night. And now it's like maybe two a week. So that's slowed down. Um, what else genre related? 
Uh, well, like I said, I think I said before, maybe one Space 1999 episode <laughs> once a week, maybe. Um, slip that in. You were like all excited with that, and then as it, I think it's a crept towards the second season. Dude, dude, season two is is kind of season two is not that great, so it's kind of take you have to really like build up to it. Well, you had Catherine Shell like turning into animals. It it's really cheesy. I, it just I, I no, and also having like read like what they could have done for the second season is just. Ugh. See, I have the DVD yeah. set of that. It takes up like this much, like you know, a good foot of the shelf. Oh God! And now they have the Blu-ray, and it takes up like a couple inches of the shelf. I'm yeah. thinking, man, should I, should I get the Blu-ray, or should I just say, yeah, the DVDs are good enough, even though they. Dude, take if up you haven't looked at the, if you haven't looked at the the DVDs, I wouldn't bother getting the Blu-ray. That's what I was gonna say. If you haven't popped <laughs> them open for a while. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. cool. Um, the Mahoning Drive-In, I, I believe it was in Pennsylvania. Lobo's been there a couple of times. The largest screen east of the Mississippi, probably in the United States now. I desperately want to go. They have, you know, Universal Monster Festivals in October, Wizard of Oz. I mean, all these themes, slasher films. And Mitch O'Connell, I'll give you his information in a little bit, does uh, artwork. And this... Uh, bumper sticker is uh, one of the things he did for them. Huh. And so let me see if I can kind of send He'd it. have to have a pretty big bumper for that. Yeah. Well, I mean. The, oh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, keep in mind, you got to describe it because we do have an audio version of this podcast happening. Yeah, that first I thought true. you said Mitch McConnell. I was like, what? No, Mitch O'Connell. <laughs> so it's a bumper sticker. Uh, Bob brought up a good point. It says, honk if you love drive-ins. And there's some cars parked in front of the screen, and it has the let's all go to the lobby with the hot dog and the bun. And then around the screen is like Godzilla, Ghidra. Um, you know, the blob is in a car with its blob girlfriend, and the 50 foot woman's there. And blob and blobette. Yeah, blob and blobette. I think uh, this will happen before our, this episode comes out. But I think uh, Vincent and Tangella are showing the Blob this Friday on their show. Oh. Let me check out Creature Features. Yeah, but this is not Creature. It's the, the Friday night show, which is the oh, oh, okay, cool. Uh, For people who don't live in your region, you're well, you can, you can. They have a YouTube channel. They have a Vimeo channel. They've got. What's it? They're on Roku, YouTube. So you're talking about Creature Features or Saturday nights. Every Saturday night is Creature Features, and a new episode goes up on YouTube, I think, at 9 o'clock on Saturdays, okay. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, they started doing, I think it's once or twice a month on Friday night, Vincent and Tangella host a movie. And they've been getting some pretty good movies. Like I say, this week's The Blob. They did Damnation Alley. They've done quite a few, like, cool films. And... Uh, they just, you know, they, they only come on like a segment at the beginning and one towards the end, so they don't interrupt every commercial like Creature Features. But, um, but yeah, no, they've got, they're getting some pretty cool movies on there. Cool. No guests or whatever. It's kind of pared down, but um, worth checking out. Like I say, you can, 
just search if you go to Creature Features YouTube channel or Creature Features uh, app on Roku and uh, or it's even on uh, Fire Stick and uh, Amazon Fire Stick and that um, download the Creature Features app and the Friday night episodes will be on there as well and you can watch it all but, but before you do that go to planetatepodcast.com YouTube channel as well and then we'll send a little business down towards uh, Vincent and Tangela's uh, you know what's funny is Bob shared this text saying oh we're in IMDB unfortunately Walker wasn't uh, at the mansion with us but um, I'm okay I was just like I've, I've never had IMDB and it's the only well the funny I've thing is done, so. Larry's IMDB listing is of the Creature Features episode that he and I were on. My IMDb listing is the previous Creature Features episode that I was on by myself. They didn't add the one with me and Larry. I mean, I could have had a bigger <laughs> list. You're going to have right? to edit it. <laughs> I told Debbie, I, I got to go on there. I got to put like the other Creature Features episode and Creepy Coffee Movie Time and all the other stuff. You know, other stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was on like three episodes of that. But yeah, it's like, yeah, it's I, just cool to just have your name on internet movie database definitely i had some friends comment oh i got one too and i was like oh cool i guess it happens um <laughs> yeah, it's not that forget, special <laughs> before i forget for the audio podcast mitch o'connell and and we'll have this uh up on the Podbean uh site um anyway mitch o'connell is uh on etsy he's on um instagram or you can just go info at Mitch O'Connell, two N's, E-L-L, dot com. And he has a lot of cool artwork you can check out. Uh, as far as watching, I'm like Bob. I, you know, we have cable so my in-laws can watch sports like basketball and baseball. But I'm watching YouTube, and there's a podcast called The Shuttle Podcast. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, and you know I'm not a fan of of um, Enterprise, um, but these two guys are very very entertaining. Um, they have great guests, good questions, and then there was actual you know so you watch YouTube and then it says oh you might like this too, and there was a hour or two interview with the cast of Enterprise, and Brandon Braga was kind of narrating. And um, I watched it, and I'll be damned. I think I'm going to rewatch Enterprise because I told you they, they were so endearing, and they loved the work that they did, and they knew when they got a shitty script, and you know they were pissed about the ending, and, and it's you know Scott Bakula, they, they all praised him as as a real leader, not just as the captain, but. You know, he would greet. He has two kids at home, newborn, and he's there like 16 hours. He greets the the PR person, the the craft services person, the camera person. He's a minch. Just, huh? He's a minch. And I'm like, you know, I, I need to give. And the whole temporal war thing drove me crazy. And they says the network made us put that in there. Because they wanted something that would tie the past and the future. And I'm like, those SOBs <laughs> just screw it up left and right. Um, there, you know, with the success of Picard season three, 
with um, Discovery leaving Paramount because it's run its course, um, there's always talk about, you know, bring back Deep Space Nine, bring back Enterprise. Would it happen? Might it happen? They're all willing to do it. They've got Strange so, New Worlds. Don't forget Strange New Worlds. Strange World. New Worlds. And I think there's a petition for the Jerry Ryan thing reached 50,000 signatures. I don't know if that'll well, be. Well, you have dates. to figure that was probably planned. Well, I you know. put that in, but. So if you want more Enterprise, start a petition. Well, and, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? Because. Uh, Oh gosh! Now, I'm, okay, this is brain fart, but uh, Paramount just got bought out by who? You guys remember? But they're not doing that well. I mean, the the uh, cowboy the show. Discovery bought HBO. Um, yeah, I don't remember, but but like they haven't. Is Paramount. it CBS? No, the CBS All Access was the what they were before they became Paramount mm-hmm. Plus, but. But, I mean, it sounds like the the Cowboy Show has done decently for them. See, I, I don't watch it, so I don't remember what it's called. Um, and Picard broke into the streaming top ten, and that was the first time any Star Trek show broke into streaming top ten. I see you guys looking, so maybe you'll be well, able to pull I'm it up. I'm checking the Oracle of but, Knowledge. But, I don't um, think anyone bought Paramount. I think maybe they might have bought Paramount. I think Plus, there was a, but... a merger. Well, yeah, I, I, the streaming thing. But I don't know. I'm concerned. And now they're ending Discovery. I'm just concerned. Like, how much Star Trek would they actually be able to support at this point? It's not that cheap. Was, that was the thought when Enterprise, uh, Rick Berman, did not want another series, but UPN was like, no, damn it, we have a network. We need Star Trek. Well, different so times. Too much Star Trek out there. Can we support it? You know, right was now it, it's it Viacom, CBS? No, this was more recent than that. Um, That's February 2022. But. Yeah. Well, people know what I'm talking about. I'm just, I'm just wondering if they're going to be able to <laughs> support another series it would be great if they did star trek legacy and had those characters that we saw in picard season three not all of the next gen because they can't afford all of them and it wouldn't make a lot of sense but if they carried on with you know seven of nine and some of the new characters and maybe every once in a while you know uh admiral picard says hello or whatever somebody pops up I know, you know, and they were talking that, you know, Enterprise did so well on Netflix because, um, yeah, especially uh, Deep Space Nine, because the network and, and the, the affiliates at the time when they were syndicated didn't want a, a story arc. They wanted individual episodes because they might air them out of sequence and blah, 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 blah. But those episodes that were episodic do so well now because people are binging now. And this was done before binging was a thing. Mm-hmm. It might serve them well to bring back some characters and not have, you know, not have it being episodic. But if you did like a Star Trek of the week and, you know, let's revisit. Uh, like an anthology show. An anthology show. And yeah. I shared this with Karen bringing back Cisco. Cisco is one of my favorite characters uh, of all time. And what I would do is I would just have Benny Russell wake up 
go to the diner to get breakfast and have his, you know, routine and then something happening in the sky that is beckoning him. And, and, you know, there's a fever dream or I haven't fleshed the whole thing out, but it would be time for Cisco to return. And the whole concept from the first, uh, this is taking up way too much time. So you're, you're, pitching, you're pitching this to Paramount, right? I basically, um, look, if, if you want to hear my pitch, email me and I'll, I'll email you back. But it, there's a lot of good character. That, and you, we saw it in Picard season three that still have stories to tell. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's what I'm watching. The shuttle podcast on um, YouTube and some other YouTube stuff. And, you know, reading when I can. Um, I got into gaming, playing some cool games with some friends. Um, so, Video you, games, role-playing games, or board games? It's uh, board games, but not like Monopoly or Clue. There's this one game. I think it's called Takenoko, where there's this panda, and uh, there's this uh, farmer that's farming for the emperor of Japan, and you have to um, spread these plots of land and grow bamboo to feed the panda, but utilizing the gardener to cultivate the bamboo, and the first one to get whatever combination, and there's different colors of bamboo for the game. Pink, are, yellow, and green. Are you sure this was gaming, or did you drop acid with your friends? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe a little bit of both. The colors on the bamboo. There's all the colors. <laughs> what was funny, we played a game. A good friend uh, of ours, uh, Jenny and Chad Martin, uh, Jenny's birthday. They're gamers. They're the ones who are getting into this. Um, she has a birthday party at her house, and she calls it Gen Con. And they just set up games throughout their house, board games. And there's this Formula DE game, Formula D. And they, they had, um, there, there's cars you move around the track and, and you change into different gears, first gear, you know, second gear, third gear. And there are dice that look like the Dungeons and Dragons dice, uh, you know, four sided dice, eight sided dice that decide what gear it's in. It was tremendous fun. They, they were shocked that I was an or not an oracle, a uh, thorical, uh, a cleric in, in Dungeons and Dragons. I wish I still had my my sheet, uh, character sheet, but anyway. Yeah. Beyond um, me, it is always a pleasure to sit here and and uh, to me this is a lot more fun than the traditional censor sweep. Um, I hope we keep doing it. Um, hey. Five years and one episode into our our ten year journey. <laughs> Five years. He told me month. I yeah. signed up for ten years. What? <laughs> and then we'll go into syndication. Maybe be uh, Planet Eight, the next gen. Where's my residuals? <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends, any last minute thoughts, plugs? Um, no, I think I think that's everything that needs to be said. We and more the gamut this episode. Thank you guys for listening to us. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. Those of you that are watching on YouTube, please share the YouTube info with your well, share it all the podcast, the, all of it with your friends. Um, we hope you like these video episodes. If you do, let us know in the comments. 
Um, we're getting comments here and there. Keep them coming. Love and appreciate you guys. This concludes this episode of Planet 8. Peace out. Be good to each other. Stay safe. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.